Hi, Askar. Thank you very much for joining us today. How are things in Astana? Hi, James. The things in Astana are moving good. I mean, we're uh, finally having good weather, even though it's still cold in the nighttime, but it's already moving uh, to plus 15, plus 20 in the daytime, which is which is very good. So the, the actual spring has come to Astana. It's going to be summer before you know it. Yeah, and it's going to end kind of without being kind of uh, without enjoying it. Uh, I mean, as you can do in in other cities and countries. So it ends like in in the end of September, completely. Askar, the last time we spoke, you were the chief commercial officer at Kazatoprom, and now you're a consultant with the Nuclear Economics Consulting Group. Maybe you can just tell us what is the NECG and what do you do there exactly? Yeah, well, <laughs> indeed, many things changed um, from from our last discussion. NECG is a broad nuclear consulting group, which is uh, which have a big exposure into the nuclear market, because not only focusing on production, which I was doing when I was in Kazamprom, but actually they they are consulting on every aspect in nuclear sector and nuclear industry so and they were the the first ones to approach me to bring to the big list of affiliates which they have they're a very good group of professionals so anything which they will have as a consultancy part are uh, engaged by any party i mean i would be very happy to contribute and to share my experience but uh, that's not the only place of my future work so i'm i'm in a discussion with several more companies uh, where I'll also be uh, presented as consultant. Well, hopefully, if, if we can can um, finalize and sign all the contracts. And one of them, uh, very interesting and challenging projects for me, which, uh, which I'm discussing at the moment, is another financial institute, which are uh, considering to create another uranium fund. So... That's practically what what I'm doing, and I'm still involved in the industry, and I'm kind of uh, participating to the conferences. And the latest one was like uh, WNFC in Hague, which which I went to first finalize some of the discussions I have, and I actually see all the folks there, and uh, I was very pleased with with the number of people who could come and who traveled across the ocean and came from. Uh, all the different parts. So it was good to see a lot of people from all the industry, from Asia, from uh, North America. So uh, everyone was there. I want to get your views on the WNFC and what the main themes were. But before we do that, I'm surprised to hear you say that there's going to be a new financial player entering the spa market. We already have the Sprott Physical Trust product. We already have Yellow Cake. We have ANU Energy. We have another new product in Zuri and Best. And now you're saying there's going to be a new financial player? Well, yeah. <clears throat> Hopefully there there will be uh, another financial player. But uh, even before there were some more financial players that disappeared. I mean, there were Luminous, Anchorage, some other funds who are not very active at the moment. Uh, so... The interest from financial sector to uranium was quite high in the last couple of years. So, I mean, I'm not very surprised that people are still moving and moving. So, um, that market is very hot. A lot of people are considering from ESG perspective, 
and from having uranium as a very interesting commodity that actually is at the very bottom and have a huge potential to to go kind of as as everyone <laughs> is speculating in, in Twitter that it could be a rocket thing somewhere to the sky. So I mean I wouldn't believe in too high sky, but I, I would say that uh, I agree that it's it's something like like a good start and uh, I mean the financial players could be contributing very well if they're directed and if they understand the market well without kind of ruining or disrupting. So I mean, I would be quite happy to help another financial player to do it very carefully in the right manner and of um, having all the things uh, done in the right manner at, at, at the nuclear market. Well, we will look forward to uh, hearing more about that in the future. As you mentioned, you were recently at the World Nuclear Fuel Conference in The Hague, and I'm sure you met with many industry experts and industry people. What were some of the main themes or some of the main takeaways that you heard when you were just discussing or speaking with these people? Oh, yeah. Um, well, uh, the main takeaway is the fundamentals of the demand side, or let's say generally the future development fundamentals have been never so strong as they are now. Um, there is a huge additional demand which we're seeing. We're seeing many, many countries um, expressing their willingness to um, to build uh, not only uh, big scale nuclear power plants, but also kind of considering a small modular reactors, actually kind of investing into that study. And um, uh, some of the SMRs are being already constructed and going to be in operation by the end of this decade. Uh, yeah, they prove to be uh, commercially effective. We'll have all the regulatory approvals. We'll have all the safety standards. I mean, that's a cool, big new uh, demand which will be arriving at the market. So, um, I mean, the fundamentals of the development of that market is actually big. The biggest challenge at the moment, which was uh, mentioned by the three biggest supplier by Kazan Brown, Kamiko, and Norado, was actually if supply could meet that signals in demand, and uh, that's something that uh, seems to be a challenge at the moment. And uh, by the end of this decade, as everyone was communicating in in the major producers part, I mean, if there will be no incentivizing to invest in brownfields and greenfields, uh, that could be a big problem for the the utility the utilities, because I mean, that shift from what uh, what we have now as a production site to what we should have in terms of the growing demand should be done very carefully and in a timely manner, not to have the, the situations that we had in 2006 when the price were jumping uh, in several months from like from 40 to 120 to 130 which is not a sustainable market. So the issue was to send the signals again to the utilities that the conversations should start uh, way earlier and um, taking into consideration what uh, lead time is needed by the main producers that we start developing all these brownfields and greenfields. 
So um, that, I guess, was the main thing to be discussed there. So um, the industry shift has, has started and uh, we're seeing more and more positive developments in terms of um, direct discussions between producers and, and supplier, uh, pr producers and utilities. So in other words, the Western utilities should be thinking more like the Chinese. They should be thinking very long-term, 10, 20, 30 years out. Yeah, and we're seeing that actually. So, I mean, what um, Cameco has uh, published in terms of their latest two contracts with uh, Energoatom in Ukraine and uh, around Bulgarian uh, utility. So actually proves that um, the contracts are being more and more long-term. I want to move on now and discuss Kazataprom and in their recent uh, production and trading numbers that were released. And I know I, I want to reinforce this again. You no longer work for Kazataprom, so I understand you might not be able to answer some of these questions, but they do represent 24% of global production. So what they do and say is very important to the uranium price. And they recently released their Q1 production and trading numbers. The average price realized was up 19% year over year due to a higher uranium price, but their production numbers were down slightly 4%. And they have said in the past, because Zataprom has said in the past that uh, lower production numbers are due to ongoing supply chain issues. And will supply coming out of Kazakhstan continue to be at risk in 2023 and 2024 because of these supply chain issues? Um, yeah, that's a sensitive question. James, you're right. I mean, what I can say is, um, I mean, um, we have no kind of basis not to believe what Kazatan Brom is saying. I mean, they're saying everything uh, correctly. And I mean, we started to feel all these supply chain issues when I was there, starting from COVID, then with the uh, uh, geopolitical situation. So that hasn't gone away. I mean, the situation is uh, is, is still very, um, very difficult, but it's not only for, I mean, uranium production industry in Kazakhstan. I mean, every industry in the world are facing the similar uh, supply chain challenges and issues. And uh, it is very similar to all other commodities. So yeah, there is a slight difference in the, in the numbers, but I mean, the company is quite confident to communicate that they will be catching up. So we should be expecting their second uh, quarter tr trading update and first half results. I mean, then uh, I guess they will be having a, a conference call where, where everyone could be asking their live questions to the company management and get the get get the answers. Kizadaprov's AGM is taking place on May the 20th. And one of the items that will be discussed has to do with the major transaction supply agreement with China's CNNC. No details of quantity, price, or timing were released, but because of the size of the transaction, it requires shareholder approval. Anything over 50% of the company's book value has to be voted on by shareholders. Can one assume that a multi-billion dollar contract will be signed by or between Kazataprom and CNNC? Yeah, well, um, that's a good question. I mean, it's also slightly sensitive, but uh, from what is already available on 
the public domain. Yeah, that's a deal with CNNC overseas. That's a um, subsidiary of CNNC. And I mean, I was very surprised to see the ballots, actually the voting ballots already um, circulating in a Twitter. Uh, the language of the ballots are not very friendly and kind of easy to understand by everyone. But what we can say from this, I mean, it's not like one deal is broke. Actually, it could be a several deals. Some of the deals could be already in place, but the contracts could be running. So it doesn't have to be a huge contract. Whilst I'm not saying that it's not a huge one, but uh, the issue is that a new deal is actually adding up to the existing deals and that joint amount is um, is becoming more than 50%. That's what it actually means. So if someone would like just to take that value of 50% divided by the current price, try to figure out what could be the, the volume, uh, it's not the right way to do. But um, I mean, the China is the closest neighbor of Kazakhstan. The distance from the railway station in Kazakhstan to the border where the uh, the product is transferred is is very short, and by by the train you can move the product like in three to four days. So it's very natural that China is actually developing that relationship and uh, trying to conclude the contract with the biggest producer, who is the neighbor and the easiest uh, way of transportation of the goods. I mean, that's quite natural and makes complete sense to, to do so. So I'm not surprised to see this kind of deal, which is exceeding uh, 50%. And I, the big takeaway for me is when I see this deal, even though we don't know a lot of the details with it, but it just tells me that there's going to be a lot more pounds, a lot cheaper pounds taken out of the market and then they're no longer going to be available to Western utilities. Well, um, yeah, I, I guess you're partially right. I mean, um, I wouldn't say that maybe it's not available for Western utilities, but uh, definitely as more China will be um, contracting, uh, the less material in Kazakh production will remain within their current portfolio of the production. I mean, once they will fill up the cool portfolio, then they have to start the, again, brownfields and greenfields. And then it, regardless whether it is uh, Western companies or uh, Eastern companies to be coming to Kazakhstan Brown, they will have to pay the high, the bigger price to, to create that value for Kazakhstan Brown to start that new project or to increase the uh, current capacity of the mines from like where they are now to plus 20% that they have uh, according to uh, subsoil use contracts. So that's a completely different story. And I mean, <laughs> the most logical thing could be like, yeah, China is a little bit ahead in these discussions than another. But again, I mean, uh, diversification in Kazanda Pro after IBO was quite significant thing which was paid and I mean, Western market was, um, was like, I mean, uh, increased from 10% to, to almost 30 at some certain year, like 2021, which, which is a very, um, good result. And, uh, but again, 
it all depends on how the contracting and discussions and negotiations between Kazdambrom and you deal with this Western or Eastern world date place, who would be more successful and who will be able to convince them to sign the contracts at some certain price. I mean, even within the current discussions, if there there is any available volumes with Kazdambrom, the issue is becoming who gives the better price for signing that long-term security of supply. So again, yeah, Bulls first gets the best and the cheapest. So yeah, you're right. I mean, the sooner will people start discussing this, the the because the more secure they will be in terms of getting all these supplies. And I want to bring up one more point before we move on, but just to really reinforce how the Chinese think. But the chair of CGN which is China's largest nuclear utility, said recently they want to grow nuclear power to 400 gigawatts by 2060. That would represent approximately 18% of their total power supply. Right now, nuclear supply is somewhere between 4 to 5% of China's electricity. And if China continues on this very aggressive path toward nuclear power and nuclear energy, I just want to get your thoughts on what this is going to do to demand and also the price of uranium while we turn. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, what we learned from China in the last decade, I mean, um, they were putting very ambitious plans and they were delivering on these plans. Um, so everyone was, uh, was a little bit, I guess, um, surprised when Chinese were saying that they will be building from six to eight nuclear power plants per year. Now they are doing it. And uh, again, China is increasing that bar, putting it even higher, saying that to be uh, carbon neutral by 2060, we have to start building more. So now it's like from eight to 10. And I mean, there is no way you shouldn't believe them because they have all the capacities inside. They have all the technologies. They have all different uh, reactor types that they have developed internally uh, by using the foreign technologies. Uh, and they have a kind of strong competition inside. So they have three companies developing this. So very big ones like CGM, which you mentioned, and another one is CNNC, which is uh, state-owned huge company um so these two companies will definitely be one of the biggest players by the end of this decade on the nuclear market so i mean if they say that they would be increasing it they would be so the out electricity output uh in 2025 and in 2030 by their estimation like nuclear power uh electricity output would be doubled and in 2035, I guess it will be tripled from what they will have in 2035. So the numbers are big. Uh, at some point of time, I guess the, the the demand from China would be equal to the current production of the whole Kazakhstan, I guess. So that's the reality. So in other words, the price is going to go significantly higher. Yeah, well, if you take basic economic rules, so definitely demand push the supply higher and i mean on the cost curve if you see that the cheapest one has already been contracted then you have to trigger 
the other ones which which definitely means that uh the price should be should be different from what it what it is now and i mean in terms of electricity prices that you see i mean there is no competition with the cheap gas there is no cheap gas at the moment right so um nuclear has a very very good bright futures and good fundamentals to to actually develop the market and keep it sustain sustainable if the discussions are right between all the parties and i mean electricity prices could support that discussions and that incentivizing price that could be paid for for producers there's many market experts or commentators on twitter and youtube etc and they say that as the price goes higher you know and if it goes significantly higher because that problem is going to be a, become a very aggressive seller and they're really going to increase production. Do you think that is the case? Might be the case? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I know who you mean. <laughs> yeah. There was a one person in Canada that who was like um, speculating on this. But I mean, generally, there was a fundamental shift within Custom Prom strategy starting from 2017. And then when Custom Prom went to IPO and become a public company. There was a strong uh, message to the market that uh, now everything should create a value for Kazan Brom for all the shareholders, not just a major one, but also for the all the <clears throat> minor shareholders as well. And starting from 2018, that message was successfully delivered, and uh, there was very. Um, uh, wise and careful production there um so the product the material was not sold to the spot market or uh sold with the huge discounts so what has been done uh, was actually very carefully prepared and uh, sold so there was no destruction of value and there was no like i mean flooding the market and bringing you putting all the all the bounds to to the spot markets, regardless where it will go and where it will end. And the main idea of Custom Brown was selling to the utilities. Uh, so, kind of even the number of counterparties had tripled, I guess, from 2016. So, uh, all the small utilities were contacted. Um, so, I'm not sure now if there is a utility on the market east or west regardless which was not um kind of which was not approached and have not yet the contract with Kazanabron. i'm not sure yet but i guess when i was leaving there were still some but i mean the guys are still doing a good job and i heard was that they're covering more and more our clients so i mean i wouldn't believe that custom brom would be flooding just by the increase of of the price I mean, the price is not a trigger. The trigger is long-term contracts. So if you have these long-term contracts, I mean, you should increase the price. So that's a sustainable way how to develop your assets and definitely you have to create a value. So, uh, I mean, I'm quite sure that, that the company strategy stays the same. So just to clarify, they're going to maintain a very disciplined approach the same way Cameco is. Well, yeah, I mean, what was communicated that 2024 
um, the company is actually moving from minus 20 to minus 10. But also what you have heard from Comical, they also said that they are already increasing uh, their guidelines for production for uh, for this year, for next year already. So that's a fundamental shift, which is already backed with the contracts. So it was the same story for Casadamprom and Comical. Uh, both companies were saying that uh, unless there are contracts, you would not see any increase in production. So once you have already that signed contracts and you have uh, a home for uh, a production, so you have that increase in, in production. Because we're talking about chemical now, we might as well continue on this path. And they just came out with their Q1 numbers. Very good. And uh, I want to get your thoughts on this. And I guess the other big news that came out here in the last couple of months from Camelco is that they signed a 10-year supply deal with Bulgaria, and they also signed a long-term contract with the Ukraine. So Eastern European countries are looking to other partners to secure long-term supply. What are your thoughts on this? What were your thoughts on the quarter? And also, what are your thoughts on Camelco's movement in securing these new customers? Well, I think it was a great move. I mean, they, they took the markets, which uh, I think Cameco also said on their call that uh, they the markets were new for them. Um, so the, the kind of the fact that they are shifting and looking for a diversification uh, from the, the the kind of suppliers that they had before shows that um, there is a shift in in terms of geopolitical situation towards different suppliers. Um, so I guess that that two particular contracts were, were actually pretty well done. So they secured not only natural uranium deliveries, but also conversion services, which is also very important in terms of their business. And as we know, kind of currently Comico is taking over Westinghouse. So in the end, Westinghouse would be the final uh, the final um, manufacturer of the fuel assemblies as well. So I guess that's that's um, that's a very good deal. And their first uh, first healthier results were like I mean they showed that they also increased in the income. They sold in the first quarter like third of what is their plan for the sales in, in the whole year, which is actually showing that many, many companies are trying to get the deliveries upfront. So they would like to get uh, uranium delivered as soon as possible. And I guess that, that one of the reasons could be that the tight capacity of the conversion. So who brings the material first to converter gets it converted earlier. And the same situation, I mean, with Kazatambro, uh, you can see that they sold much more than they were selling in the past years in the first quarter. So first quarter um, was always very quiet on the market and within the financial statements of the, the public companies like producers. And this year, you're seeing that the first quarter is very, very strong. So that also shows that utilities uh, are worried and they would like to expedite some of, of their procurements and that's 
that also could be triggered by by the conversion part, which is a bottleneck at the moment on the market. Let's move the discussion now toward long-term contracting, and I want to get your views on what's happening within the industry. But maybe you can give us some color what you're hearing just in terms of how many contracts are out there, what kind of size, what the terms are. Well, I mean, I mean, what was um, disclosed by Comical on these deals with Bulgaria and uh, Energatum, you can see that the uh, contracting terms is at least 10 years now. Um, what we're seeing from the AGM item five uh, of Kazanambro, I mean, you can presumably think that the, the deal is also a long-term one uh, and a very significant one. So that actually shows uh, the, the general sentiment um a lot of a lot of discussions are are moved from a mid-term and short-term supplies to a long-term supplies which really makes sense and um i mean we know that utilities from time to time they have some certain needs to buy uh small volumes to adjust their animal feeds uh, in conversion or maybe with 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 enrichment kind of incentivizing some of the enrichers to go from underfeeding to overfeeding or to change the tails uh, so some of the utilities are, are from time to time on the market and from what i heard on the conference there were a couple of utilities whose names were not disclosed they were actively searching the material at the price of 51 which was like one one week ago uh, and they were not successful to get it. And I mean, I'm not sure what caused that run of the price of last week, but the price jumped almost $2. So now it's like 53 and, uh, which shows that if they were successful, they had to buy that at the higher price. So, which again shows with a big interest from, um, financial players. And sooner or later, um, we know that once the capital markets are back, um, um, the interest is is going to be back as well. I mean, this fraud will come back to the market. Um, Yellow Cake will be back buying from Casadambron or from the market. Uh, that Zuri Invest, they communicated that they will be buying of 100 million stack Anu Energy is going to uh, continue their plans for the phase two. So all this will just create more and more tightness on the spot market and outside of the spot market as well. So uh, with all this competition from the utilities and non-utility players, uh, I'm expecting that the tightness will be very high and that would also have an impact on the price. Uh, I'm sorry, did you mention how many pounds these utilities were looking for on the spot? Well, um, it wasn't mentioned, but kind of the, the idea was like from 200 to 500,000 pounds. So it's not a big quantities, but if they were successful, I mean, the price moved as, as we have seen, if it was not them they are still in a search so someone kind of come to the market up front of of them so some trader or intermediary to buy these quantities and waiting for the utility to offer the higher price so the quantities were not big but 
the fact that they couldn't buy at the spot price at the time they wanted shows that there, there is not much uh, interest to sell the material at the current price. And just because we're talking about the spot market and also the financial players involved, we might as well continue on with this. But you do you have any insights on ANU Energy and where they currently stand? Um, well, um, I, um, they could speak on themselves. I mean, they have a very professional good team. Um, now they're communicating. Well, from what I can say on their part, uh, they're... Last time I heard from them at, that, uh, at the Hague conference was uh, they're doing this uh, NDRs, non-deal roadshows uh, uh, to attract investors in, in, in the framework of the phase two. So the phase two, they're going to increase the fund up to $500 million. So that's what they're doing now. Uh, I guess they can disclose more if someone addresses them directly. But uh, what I see and what I kind of heard to prove that they're actually considering some uh, very serious movements is they're, uh, they're strengthening the team and they hired the new CFO um, who was like... Um, my former colleague in Kazanambrom, she was a CFO of Kazanambrom. So kind of getting her on board, I mean, means that they're very, very serious about moving forward with the second phase. And I mean, <laughs> that's why I'm thinking that there will be a very strong competition from uh, financial players uh, towards utilities in the coming like two or three years. So th there will be a battle for the pounds available on the market. Askar, we started this interview discussing the WNFC in The Hague, and, and I want to finish, finish it with a statement about the conference from UXC, and I'm quoting, when we think back to the exact moment we knew with absolute certainty that the nuclear industry had entered a new phase, it just might be at the WNFC that took place in The Hague in 2023. What are your thoughts on this? Um, well... Well, uh, I'm. I don't say that I disagree with this, but I guess the 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 biggest turning point could be another venue, which will take place in WNA in London, where actually much much more players will come to to that conference. I mean, last year's conference was amazing. It, it was so big, so a lot of utilities, a lot of players could travel um, from the other side of the ocean and now kind of all the Asian players can travel as well so we could definitely see much more people there and I mean we would definitely have more understanding on some regulatory uh, changes whether there will be sanctions or not so much more uh, information would be available by this time so kind of my personal expectation is that maybe that WNA would be that point, which which uh, was mentioned by UXC. Askar, as we wrap up, I'm going to put you on the spot now, but we, we talked about so many elements here in the last few minutes, just about the uranium price and where it's going in the short term and the long term, but I want to get your views. Where does the spot price finish up 
at the end of the year? Well, <laughs> that's a good question, James. I mean, um, there are a lot of factors that might impact this. Um, so, again, the spot market is tight. If financial players would be very, very active, would uh, would have all the financial support that they are actually uh, looking. I mean, the spot price could go crazy. I mean, it could be the same jump as uh, as we had when just a single sprout entered the market and started to buy whatever was available by all the support that they were getting. And can you imagine that we will have five players like this kind of stepping into the market and fighting for the volumes and for for something? Kind of, at some point of time, I wouldn't um, I wouldn't uh, be surprised if financial players will actually go and start concluding the contracts with some of the producers to make sure that they will have the volumes to satisfy the, the needs from from their investor. If the interest from the investors would be a long-term or at least for the next two to three years, so that's an additional, I guess, uh, competition for you do it is in a mid-term rally, I guess. So, well, uh, from what we see now, uh, without any Black Swan events, without any other um, kind of challenges, if everything will have the same development, I guess that that we will see a diff- definitely a different spot price level, not by the end of the year, but during the year for sure. So the tightness will create these shifts in the price. Maybe it will go up and down, up and down, but the general trend, I guess, would be just an increasing trend. So the answer is significantly higher. Well, high, I don't say significantly, but um, it would be definitely high. Uh, again, if there will be no um, kind of um, Blackstone events or some, some other things which are, are impacting the market. Well, Oscar, that was a very insightful conversation, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today, and I look forward to our next discussion. Once again, thank you. Thank you, James.